Welcome to the Grace City Eugene podcast. We exist to make disciples who honor God, love people, and impact the world. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to hello at gracecityeugene.com. Here's today's podcast. So there we go. It's time for some message. We excited? Week four in the Don't Take the Bait series. We've been talking about this bait of Satan, if you will, this uh, trap of offense that the enemy uses to try to bring us into captivity to keep us out of fulfilling the destiny and plans that the Lord would have for us and how dangerous offense is. And we've looked at a couple different uh, ways that that has played out um, in youth. Pay attention. Here's a couple of your questions coming out here. So the first week we looked at what the Bible says about offense um, and how it is, in fact, something that the enemy uses to hold us captive. Um, That was the first week, basically. The second week, we looked at the life of Joseph and how he handled poor circumstances, things that were not um, happy times from him, from his brothers, and from those around him, and ultimately how God worked in those circumstances to make him the leader that God intended him to be. So we looked at the life of Joseph. And then last week, we looked at this interplay between David and Saul, the first two kings over Israel, and how Saul, or how David had a reverence for the leadership that God had placed, and how he kept offense out of his perspective in dealing with unfair and unjust treatments. And we looked at that, that whole thing play out that David endured um, from Saul over time, and the ways in which he was trying to show Saul, like, I'm not against you, like, and he just kept coming against him because he's a little bit crazy. Um, but we looked at that and how David believed the whole time that God would be the one to repay Saul, that he would have the vengeance, that he would be ultimately the judge in this, and that he resisted taking that for himself. So that was David and Saul. And this week, I really want to focus in on something that we just alluded to last week. And we need to make sure, family, that we really get this today. We need to get the heart of it, not just be able to quote The verses, because I believe if we don't understand what we're talking about today, then we will never truly be free from this trap of offense. It will always be lingering and it will always have the opportunity to take a hold of us unless we understand what we're looking at this week. And so the first thing I want to do is look at Romans chapter 12, and I want to look at the words the Apostle Paul wrote, Um, but I'm going to pray for us first. So, Dad, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what it means for us today. And, Father, would your word and your presence in this place set us free from anything that may be holding us captive this morning. Help us to have open ears and open hearts to receive what your spirit would speak this morning through me. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Romans 12, 17 through 19, this is where we're going to start. It says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So we're starting out with a question this morning. Is this a recommendation? No, this is not a recommendation. Is this simply a suggestion that the scriptures are giving us? No, 
This is a command. This is not to be taken lightly. This is not like, well, if I get to it, I will put that thought in cue. And as it is convenient in my relationships, I will rely upon it. That is not the file that this gets put into. This is a command. And you're going to see this all throughout Scripture, that God considers it an unrighteous thing when we avenge ourselves. An unrighteous thing. Make sure you hear that. It is an unrighteous thing when we avenge ourselves. Yet, our fleshly nature and in the brokenness and insecurity that we often dwell in, what is our initial reaction when somebody comes against us with something that's unjust, unfair, slanderous, or just plain a lie? It is to try to avenge ourselves, to try to defend ourselves, to gain allies and make sure that we have a united front moving forward on my behalf. Does this resonate with anybody? I'm speaking this out of a place of conviction this morning, family, so don't, don't think this is just me talking to you, okay? But this is our nature, what we want to do, but he considers it a righteous thing when he avenges us. God promises here in Romans 12 that he will repay, and he commands us not to. And here's another tough pill to swallow that's a caveat of this. Repayment, or him repaying, may not look like you want it to. It may not be fair in your paradigm the way in which somebody is repaid. You think it may mean that like God's going to bring calamity and punishment on somebody? That's what we think. Like, yeah, that's right. Wrath of God. He's going to take it to him. And I'm just going to sit back here. Told you so. Like sometimes that's the way out of our immaturity that we read that scripture. But you know what might happen? They might get saved. <laughs> and you're going to have to be okay and actually rejoice and celebrate with that because what's the goal of this life we live anyway? The ministry of reconciliation and seeing God's kids brought back to him. <clears throat> now, I want to show you guys that this actually matters this morning. This isn't just a Romans 12 thing that I'm using as proof text because I want to beat us all over the head with something this morning. That's not what this is. Jesus said that they are weightier matters of the word of God. He actually said to the Pharisees, you pay your tithes of anus and mint and cumin, but you neglect the weightier matters of justice, faith, and mercy. Jesus himself said there are weightier matters of the world. And I want to show you all this morning that this is a weightier matter. This is significant. This is something that we need to actually take and let it do something inside of us. Let it cultivate the places that have become hard from the hurt and the pain and the unfair things that have been done to us. It's a one simple point this morning because it's so important that we just need to make sure we get this. So let's look at a few scriptures to continue to, to see that this is a weighty matter and it is referenced throughout scripture. Proverbs 20, 22 says, don't say, I'll get even for this wrong. Wait for the Lord to handle the matter. Wait for the Lord to handle it. Look at this one, Deuteronomy 32, 34, and 35. The Lord says, am I not storing up these things, sealing them away in my treasury? I will take revenge. I will pay them back. In due time, their feet will slip. Their day of disaster will arrive and their destiny will overtake them. This is actually exactly what David quoted to Abishai as we were going through that story last week, the, the message that I referenced where he's sitting there just ready. He's like, just give me the word, David. Let me take care of this guy once and for all. And that is the scripture that David actually spoke to him. 
Proverbs 24, 29. And don't say to your neighbor, now I can pay them back for what they've done to me. I'll get even with them. Are you seeing a theme here? Are we seeing a theme? Do we think this might matter if it continues to come up? And this isn't all of them yet. If it continues to come up time and time again. Yet, I know that I find myself at times where I'm hurt and I'm just dwelling in a place of people coming against me and misunderstanding and treating me unjustly and unfairly where these are the verses that I want to hear last. And I believe that some of you can identify with that here this morning. Sometimes it's like, yeah, that's good and all, but just, you know, I I need some ministry right now. I don't need conviction, right? Well, no, Jesus is going to minister to you through this conviction and this truth here this morning so that you can actually be set free. So let's see if anyone in the New Testament besides Paul has anything to say, at the, say about this. We can look in 1 Peter and see what he says. 1 Peter 2.18. He says, servants, which is employees, students, team members, etc. in our context, be subject or submissive to your masters, which again, in today's context, employers, teachers, managers, team leaders, with all, say all, all respect, not what they have earned or deserved, but with all respect, not only for the good and gentle, but also to the unjust or harsh, not just for the good and gentle masters, but also the unjust or harsh, some of the other translations say. If you're anything like me, you read this and you say, what? Are you kidding me? The unjust and harsh? Like, God, you should be happy that I don't knock them out. Don't tell me to have respect for them. That's how I feel. That's what rises up in me, before I was a pastor, of course, when I would read the scripture. So I, when I read stuff like this sometimes, and this is, you know, confession, if you will, I read this, this stuff sometimes, I'm like, oh, maybe that's just a real literal translation, and they don't get the essence of the world we live in today. So I go read other translations, right? Or I go to other resources like concordances and Greek dictionaries and, and different things because I'm hoping for some relief. I'm hoping to feel a little better about the current condition or position of my heart. And so in this case, should we do that? We go and we look up the Greek word for harsh or unjust, and it's scolios. And then you use some of the resources that we have available to see what it actually means in the original word, um, in the original language. Thayer's Greek Dictionary says that this means crooked, perverse, wicked, unfair. Okay, not making me feel any better yet, so I go to the next one. Vine's Expository Dictionary. It means tyrannical or unjust leaders. It's like, come on, will somebody throw me a bone here and bring me some relief? So I go to some other sources, and it says dishonest, cruel, unreasonable, and I can't get any relief. For goodness sakes, are you telling me that unjust and harsh means unjust and harsh? And I'm supposed to respect them? Not just the good and gentle, but them? God, you're telling me that me, your child, is to be submitted to a crooked, perverse, wicked, unfair, tyrannical, dishonest, cruel, unreasonable leader? This kind of sounds like an abusive relationship, doesn't it? You're telling me that is your kid. And so many people read this and they just blow by it because it's uncomfortable. You read that and you're like, ah, that's going to be one of those ones that maybe when I'm more sanctified, I'll look at again, right? You just breeze by it because you don't want to actually have to reconcile what that means in your life. You're like, you know what? 
I, I just know God is love, and he couldn't actually mean that because he loves. No, God is love, and that's why he means that. And we don't have a place in our flesh in the way in which we live and see the world to reconcile those things. So, oh, interesting verse, and we move on. Can I just go to 1 Corinthians 13 again and read about love? Like, that's where the, we go when we're just kind of feeling like there's conviction reigning, right? So we, we, we can tend to ignore it. And I believe that when we choose not to do that, that is the fear of the Lord and acknowledging he is who he says he is that compels us to not just breeze by it, but to actually dig into it. And Proverbs 9.10 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. So we can't understand it by breezing over it. We actually have to dig in out of fear for who he is and knowing that he wants us to receive this word. And that is the beginning of even getting to a place of understanding as his will and grace unfolds in our life. Ultimately, these kinds of verses confront us with a choice. Are we going to just move past it because we don't understand? Or are we going to trust that God's saying what he's wanting to say through his word. And we have to choose to believe what we read rather than to read into the Bible what I already believe. We have to choose to believe what we read in the scripture rather than just read into it whatever preconceived ideas I may have about it. And this, my family, is one of the biggest challenges that our society is dealing with when it comes to the word of God right now. We have to believe what we read. That doesn't mean we take it flippantly and don't try to understand the context because truth out of context doesn't envelope the whole truth. If we don't understand what they were saying to who they were saying it to in these, these books of the Bible that were written, we can't fully like, understand it and therefore embrace it. But if we put in the work, we take it seriously, we understand who the audience was and what it was meant to communicate, then we have to believe what we are reading. We can't say, well... I just don't see how God could do that. And so I'm just going to believe my little one. Like, no, there's no room for that. And that's an unpopular statement sometimes for ministers to make from a pulpit today. But I'm sorry, we're here to talk about truth. Amen. We got to take the Bible seriously. And I know this is probably a challenging direction, talking about just keep letting people do bad things to you and all these different things. But it's going to continue to go down that road for a little bit longer before we get to the good news here this morning. So um, be encouraged. We will get there eventually. So let's continue to look at what Peter says. And if you haven't read 1 Peter chapter 2, this is just a gold mine. Of, I, I would encourage you, go home today and look into it. But in verses 19 and 20, he continues on and says, For God is pleased. Everybody say, I want to please God. I want to please, like, we, we want to please God, right? This is, I'm having flashbacks to mass when I was growing up. Um, everybody say, I want to please God, and we repeat, right? This is just like my childhood in church. So when conscious of his will, it says, for God is pleased when we are conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. If you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. God is pleased with you when you do that. So do you see what he's saying here? If you do what is good and you suffer because of it and you endure it patiently, God is pleased with that. He's pleased with that. He goes on in verse 21. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, which is his personal example, so that you might follow in his steps. 
People are always wondering, what's my calling? I want to know my calling. Pastor, what's my calling? God will just tell me what my calling is. For to this you have been called. (laughs) Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you his personal example so that you might follow in his steps. What is his personal example? We got to go to Mark 15 to see that. So in Mark 15, let's, let's put ourselves back into the narrative of Jesus' life now and what he was enduring, and especially at the end of it. Jesus is standing in front of this court of law, the highest court in the land uh, that he could have been standing in front of. Think of like our Supreme Court. This is who he was standing in front of. The most influential men in the nation. And you have to remember that like the Pharisees and the Sadducees were not just the religious leaders, but they were also the most influential in that nation because Rome gave them the opportunity to self-govern. So they were like politicians of sorts for them. They had the opportunity to govern themselves. So this is the highest court of law in the land. And they're backed and endorsed by Rome. And actually, they had an ambassador of Rome there with them during this session. So the most influential men in the country are saying all kinds of lies about Jesus, all kinds of lies about him. There's not a bit of truth in what they're saying. And in Mark 15, verses 3 through 5, it says this, and the chief priests accused him, that's Jesus, of many things, but he answered nothing. Now, this is a court of law, and they're lying about him, right? We think court of law, there's cross-examination, there's rebuttals, there's defense. They're saying all these lies, and Jesus says nothing. They're slandering him, and he just says nothing. Says nothing. Then watch this. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you? But Jesus still answered nothing. So that Pilate marveled. Why is Pilate marveling? He knows that this is the highest court. He knows the importance and the gravity of this moment. And he's watched many folks in similar situations to him over the years come through. And when things were said about them, whether they were true or not, they would defend themselves just like for their lives be Defending themselves, frantically defending themselves. And now Pilate stands there and watches a man who he knows is innocent because his wife had a dream and said to him, he's an innocent godly man, don't touch him. So Pilate knows that he is innocent. He knows that. And he's, he's got all this information. And he, he, he marveled because he's like, oh my gosh. This guy's innocent, and I've watched people that were guilty as all get out, defend themselves and fight and frantically try to prove themselves out of this court, and Jesus just sits here and says nothing. He knew that he was special because look at what he put on the sign on his cross. Pilate had them put king of the Jews, king of the Jews, and the priest said, no, 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 put that he said he was the king of the Jews, and Pilate says, no, I've written what I've written. Like, he knew Jesus, he was someone special. He knew that Jesus was a godly man. And he's watching this innocent man where he, in the seat where he's used to watching these criminals. But now he's watching him, all these lies about him. And he says, do you not have anything to say, Jesus? Like, really? I, help me out here. Help me be on your side. Like, say something. And Jesus says nothing. 
and why, and Peter tells us this is his personal example in 1 Peter 2, 22 and 23. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. Jesus left his case in the hands of God who judges fairly. And that can be a really uncomfortable thing to do, can't it? Have you guys ever encountered that, where you could either defend yourselves, make your case, plea your case, try to work things out, or leave your case in the hands of God? I can think of numerous relationships in my life, and I won't name them because some of them happened while we were doing this church thing here. Okay? where I was wronged, where people talk smack, they try to turn people against me, spread lies about who I was, what I said, what I did, but I fought the desire to just get a bunch of people rallied, help them understand my case, make my defense, and have some allied force to fight against this, defending myself. Because my tendency, my nature wants to make sure that I'm vindicated and understood and that people understand where I was coming from and therefore don't think I did anything wrong because I want to please them. That's my flesh, my people-pleasing, insecure, anxious flesh. That's what I would want to do. But choosing not to do that, to remain calm, to remain non-anxious, and faithful to the work that Christ has done in me and desires to continue to do through me, allowing him over time to defend me. And because of this, many of these relationships, not all, I'm believing that it may be all someday, but many of these relationships have been reconciled and have been blessings in my family and in my relational circle because I chose begrudgingly at times to my flesh and to myself to not try to defend myself, but to allow God to handle that part of that situation. A response to the call to live that way is going to leave things much more open to the ultimate goal of reconciliation in these times than if we try to follow our fleshly call to just defend ourselves. And that's what Jesus was doing here. He committed his case to the hands of God who would judge righteously. And if you look at what Peter goes on to say in 1 Peter 3.9, he says, don't repay evil for evil, Remember the first scripture we read this morning with Paul in Romans 12, don't repay evil for evil. And then he goes on and says, don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Don't stoop to their level, basically. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do. There we go with that calling again. There's your calling. This is what God has called you to do. When you get insulted, when you get unfairly treated, when you have, you have an opportunity to pay back with a blessing, to do good. Do you see it? You have an opportunity. So let's keep reading. Same verse. Knowing that you were called to do this, gosh, that, that calling, why were we called to do this? That you may inherit a blessing. That means the next time that you are unfairly treated, the next time you're insulted or something, somebody does something evil against you, that you can rejoice, you can keep your head held high, and you can remain steadfast in your faith. Why? Because God is setting you up with an opportunity to be more like him and receive a blessing in the midst of it. He's setting you up to get blessed 
if you handle it correctly. If you handle it according to your calling. If you handle it according to your calling. What happens if you don't handle it correctly? Well, God just says, okay, you want to defend yourself? Cool. Like, have at it. And he sits back and he lets you defend yourself. Okay. And you may win. It may work out in that moment. You may successfully defend yourself. But when you do that, there's just something inside of you. If you're in Christ, when you defend yourself, there's something inside of you that just feels off. When you make your own case, when you plead your own case, when you try to defend yourself, there's something in there that even if you win, it's just like, ah, it just wasn't it. It just, that doesn't set right because you missed out on a blessing. You missed out on an opportunity to identify with Jesus in that moment, first and foremost, and also for him to develop your character and your integrity and a chance for you to see him defend you and work on your behalf instead of you having to stand up and do it for yourself. So yeah, you can defend yourself. God's not going to say, Xander, no, I got you on this one. Maybe he will sometimes. He's God. He can do what he wants. But he may just say, okay, have at it, son. Like, this is a pretty, like, cheap lawyer compared to what you have in me. But have at it. Have at it. And yeah, you may win. But there's this blessing that you can inherit that you're just skipping over in this anxious place of trying to defend and care for yourself. And what God is saying in that moment is, can, can I just be your daddy? Can I go to school and talk to the principal for you, right? Can I, can I go defend you? Can, can you just trust me that I love you? I want what's best for you. And I, maybe not right now because something may be getting done in you and in the other person and in all this cosmic puzzle that he is overseeing, maybe there's something that needs to happen, but trust, will you just trust your dad that he's gonna take care of you, that he's got your back? Would you just do that so we don't miss out on opportunity to grow in character because you don't need to defend yourself? And Jesus understood that. Jesus understood that. And Paul and Peter speak of that in their letters. Now, I don't know anybody personally that illustrated this, this point, and so I stole an illustration, but I think it's a good one, so here you go. So this illustration of like God may be doing something or that it inherits or unlocks a blessing. There's this businessman who had this landscaping type of business in Florida. And he, he was able to get his, he kind of manufactured this landscaping pump for fountains and stuff, right? And it was, it was a pretty big deal. And he was on the rise and he had this contract with this major commercial landscaper to use his fountains and in all these places, and he was owed $140,000, which to any business, that's money, right? There's six digits there. It matters. Um, but to this guy, as a startup, it, it was significant. It was significant. And this guy, what he did is he picked up the offense. He was offended because they wouldn't pay him. They were ignoring his calls. It had been months, and he's hurting for money to make payroll, and they wouldn't pay him. So this guy goes around, and he starts telling everybody, pleading his case to his employees, can you believe this guy? He won't pay us. He's this, blah, 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 like talking to his wife, his family, other businessmen, just putting this business on blast, trying to gain his allies, right, plead his case, make sure he has a united front against the man that owed him this money. And then he, he got convicted of it. And God was like, hey, this, this isn't right. You need to do something about this. 
And so he did something that I pray that God would give me like the, the grace and the courage to do. He actually went around to all the people that he had been talking smack about this guy to, even though it could be justified, and repented for it. Hey, employee meeting. You know, and it wasn't like some 200-person like staff. But 20, 25 people said, hey, I need to repent to you guys because the way I've been talking about this guy is not right. And it's not a good example, and it's putting roots of bitterness in our company, and I believe it, can, it will keep us from inheriting a blessing that God may have for us. And he went, he went to his wife, his kids, and eventually he went to the guy himself. And he sits down with him, and he repents, and he apologizes for this, and then he tells the guy, you know what? Our books say you owe us $140,000, but here, I, I want this to be right, so you just pay us whatever you feel is fair, and we'll just, we'll just move on. We'll just move on. So he goes back to his office. He's feeling pretty good, right? And um, he gets a check from this guy in the mail about a week later. Guess how much the check was for? $11,000. See, it doesn't work, right? $11,000. And there's another opportunity he's encountered with to take up offense, right? But he says, you know what? I felt compelled by the Lord to offer that option. Apparently 140000 and 11000 you know, it's close enough. And he moved on. Four weeks later, he signed a contract for $2.7 million, largest contract his business had ever had. Six weeks after that, $7 million contract. Now, do you see how when you let God take care of things for you, it might work out that you inherit a blessing? Now, I'm not going to say it's always monetary. I'm not that pastor. That's not my theology. But this is simply an illustration that God does things. God wants to bless you. He wants to take care of you. What that looks like, I don't know. I'm not God, but it's not up to us. That's what I do know. And so in this case, it was a business decision, transaction, the heart of the owner that like went down into the rest of his employees and his family and the way he conducted business. And when he humbled himself and allowed God to be the judge, it may not have come in the way that he thought repayment would come, but God still did bless and take care of him. He still did repay, just not the way he thought it would. And this man, like us, when we go through these situations and we humble ourselves and we allow God to defend us instead of trying to take vengeance ourselves, these experiences prepare us. They prepare us for what he has for us. We've seen that every week. What Joseph went through, it prepared him. What David went through, it prepared him for the leadership calling and the destiny that God had set before them. But sometimes the very fire that you're going through is necessary to refine you for your destiny and what he wants to do. And if we just try to pass the hard part, we never get to be the fullness of what God wants to do inside of us to step into that destiny. There will be times when people speak unfairly about you. If you haven't encountered that yet, like, praise God, teach me how to, like, put earmuffs on like that, because it happens all around us. There's going to be times where people are going to slander you, try to defame your character. And the question isn't, how will you defend yourself? The question is, are you going to live by Jesus' personal example and obey your calling? And what is that calling? then we're not going to defend ourselves, but we're going to let our daddy, our heavenly father, do that for us. Will you obey that calling? Are you going to give in to the fleshly desire to rally people around you, or are you going to trust that God already has your back and is working in your situation? 
And when we can own that, when that can be our reality, that shifts all our relationships. And I'm not sitting here preaching a message of be a pushover. I'm sitting here preaching a message that you are like your victory is not reliant upon your defense. Your victory is reliant upon the cross that Jesus already died on and you already have that. So when we approach each time someone comes against us, it's like, we got to find victory in this to prove that God's good or that he loves me. Like, no, you've missed the point. The price is already paid. The tomb is still empty. I was there in February. I got pictures to verify it. Like, we're good. We're good. God has your back. Let him defend you. You are, I'm sorry, you are a cheap substitute for an attorney in the matters of this world when you have God available to do that for you. That's the whole point here. You can defend yourself and win, yes, but you will miss out on the blessing. The choice is up to you. Amen? I can't make the choice for you. The choice is up to you. But some good news in this is you have a family of believers to walk this out in, to encourage you, to help cheer you on. Not to try to rally them to be on your side, but they're going to be on your side because they have the same defendant in God. They're subscribed to the same calling that we see here throughout the scripture. So Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you handle vengeance and paying back and defending us. And that that burden, that weight is not on our shoulders. And I thank you that you do it so much more gracefully than we ever could. And that you do it with an eternal and all-knowing perspective that works all things out for the good and the glory of you. And we thank you for that. For all the ways that may, we may come up short, that your graciousness and your mercy covers that. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.